The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since they may be known, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people with so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. God be with us. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, Thanks for having me. There's no better way to start off church with a guest speaker than a fresh dose of wrath and sinfulness, hey? It's a good way to start things. Not exactly a passage that you would pick uh, if you were coming and, and speaking for the first time. Usually you want to say something happy and uh, hopeful. Th- this, not so much. Um, as uh, today, that uh, I'm... Well, and he just suggested that just do that. Uh, so this morning I spoke there earlier, and uh, using that uh, as a theme, I th- this is where we're starting. Uh, the reason for that is because uh, the theme for Beach Mission is called Ancient Times, and uh, one of the directors asked me if uh, we would revolve a series around uh, the book of Romans, because that seems to fit. Ancient Times, Romans, they sort of go together, right? Um, and as we did, um, I started thinking about what Romans looks like. Y'all can hear me though, right? I'll just talk into this if that's all right. Hey, I'll turn this off. Guest speaker can't get anything right. Sorry, guys. Um, so we've been going. Uh, so we're looking at the uh, the. Uh, the wisdom from the book of Romans at Beach Mission, and uh, Les asked me if um, I could speak um, to that book, and this is how Paul starts. Um, Romans is a Paul to a church that he's never actually been to. Uh, it's written to a community of believers from different backgrounds and experiences, people from different places and cultures who are all trying to figure out how to do this Jesus together as one gathering of people, kind of like you and me. We all come from different places, different backgrounds, different experiences. Some of us were maybe born in Evan. Some of us come from somewhere else, some uh, other part of the world. Um, And this is what we're like. We're gathered here this morning, and uh, our job is to try to figure out uh, what this God-shaped life in Jesus really looks like. How do we live that out together? And, And through it, Paul wants to remind the church of two things. The first thing is he wants people to know what it means to know God. Who is this God? What's he like? How can we know him? What does it mean to do this Christian life together? How do we live this thing out as a community? Because it's not meant to be lived out by yourself. How do we do this thing together? And so where does Paul start when he starts talking about these two things? He starts with wrath. 
or Roth for you Aussie speakers in the room. Um, which is, a, as I said before, it's a really interesting place to start. I wouldn't normally start there, but this is where he begins. Uh, Roman, from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul begins building a case. And the case goes something like this. That you and I and every human being is part of a story. The hero of that story, according to Paul, is God. God who created us, the universe, and everything. Uh, it is him who designed us. It's him who knows how we operate best. Um, who loves the heck out of us like a proud parent over their children. And Paul tells this story because it's the story that every book of the Bible tells, in fact. And yet, he says, from the very beginning, there was a problem. If you rewind back all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, um, after God simply speaks, things come into existence. He says it, it's done. Stars, moon, sun, plants, animals, oceans... And finally, humans come along, and humans are the, the pinnacle of God's creative work. And God does something different in humans than he does for the rest of creation. In verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1, it says that God makes humans in his own image, in his likeness. Why is this important? Well, back in the ancient world that Paul was living in, images of things were everywhere. Um, you might come into a city... And as you walk into a city, you see an image, a statue of a king, uh, letting you know that you have entered into that person's kingdom. And uh, that, that person, let's say Pharaoh, that Pharaoh or something, he's in charge and controls your fate. You might go into the temple, and all around you are images of Marduk, the victorious god of the Babylonians, who you've come to gain favor from um, by bringing an offering. Or you might walk into someone's home, and you might see an image, a carving of the goddess Demeter, the goddess of fertility, hanging above the bed. Why would you need a goddess of fertility image hanging above the bed? Well, you're all adults. You can figure it out. Now, it, these images were everywhere in the ancient world. Uh, they were symbols that represented something bigger, something more powerful. And so people fashioned these images to point the way. So you see a carving of Athena, and you were meant to, when you looked at that image, think of wisdom, that you see this, you think of this goddess and, and this, this wisdom that she has access to. Or you come across the statue of Renuatet of the Egyptians, and you were reminded that she is the one that controls the harvest. These images represented gods or goddesses, but more accurately, they represented something deeper and bigger, uh, desires and longings within all of us, and where we think that humans think that they might find those longings met. And so biblically, we are told, part of the Ten Commandments, you're not supposed to make an image of God because God has already made images of himself. You and me, humans, we are God's image. And from the very beginning, the point of it was that you and I are walking reminders of someone who is greater, uh, from whom... Everyone can find their deepest longings and desires found. That as we live for God, as he intended us to, it points others to who God is, who loves and gives life and breath and everything. And as people see us, they're meant to be pointed to God. But as I said, as Paul begins this letter to Romans, there's a problem. And the problem, uh, it's a problem that happened with the very first humans, and it's a problem that still happens today with every human life. That instead of fulfilling uh, their mandate to be God's image bearers, uh, to live for him, instead um, they 
instead of pointing upwards to God, we've chosen to say, nah, no thanks, God, not interested, don't want to. Uh, and we live instead for ourselves, or we live for anything other than God. So instead, instead of pointing, pointing all of creation to God, we make creation itself and the stuff of this life God. Uh, people did this back in the day by worshiping these false images um, of, that represented temporary things. But we do the same thing today by pursuing things like financial security or popularity or success or sex or whatever it is, and we make these things, these temporary things, ultimate things. As I said, I'm from the northern beaches of Sydney, and uh, one of the things that's very popular is uh, renovating. Everybody on the northern beaches just renovates all the time. They spend all this money to have a bigger house, a nicer house, uh, a more, uh, I don't know, beautiful looking house or whatever. They get modern technology and smart locks for their doors because why not? You get faster internet, you get everything that you can have, and as soon as they're done, it takes, you know, it takes a while. They look around and like, uh, I need to build more more rooms, more bathrooms, bigger rooms, a better kitchen, another kitchen. And it just goes over and over and over again. And people on the northern beaches do this because they think that if I have a nice house, I'll be secure. If I'm secure, then I'll have found some sort of purpose for my life. I'll have some sort of comfort or meeting, and I can sit back and relax. But the cycle just keeps going on and on and on. That no matter how much these people renovate, they don't really find what they're looking for. And this is what all humans do. So why did I come up to Evans and start here on this really depressing passage, you may ask? It's not a really good thing to talk about. Guest speakers are supposed to be happy. Sorry, guys. Um, the reason why I'm talking about this is this story that Paul starts um, with is actually everyone's story. That all of us are striving uh, and longing for something more. We're looking it's there. And Paul reminds us in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And we may think, well, yeah, that sounds really nice, Paul, but are you supposed to be saying that today in, in modern culture? I mean, you don't say stuff like that, right? You don't walk around and saying, oh, people need God. They're broken. They're in need, in, they're in need of rescue. It's, not, it's culturally taboo to say that. And for, for me, myself, I'm someone who has struggled my whole life to believe that humans weren't anything but good. Uh, I, I see, I'm someone who tries to see the best in people. Maybe you're the same. I look around at people that are in my circles, family, friends, people I see at school or at church or around the community, and I think, these people aren't horrible people. Um, they don't seem like they're the people who are destined for hell. Uh, most people I know are good and beautiful human beings. So isn't what Paul is saying here just a really old and outdated Christian worldview that isn't relevant in our society anymore, that people are broken and in need of something bigger? Isn't, are we allowed to say that anymore? Well, these are questions that I've wrestled with for a really long time. Um, I wrestle with that in my head. But then two weeks ago, I attended a funeral of a friend who, though she never smoked a day in her life, died of lung cancer at the age of 30, leaving behind a husband and a four-year-old son. And I look at that story, and I think to myself, that can't be right. That's not good. There's not something right about that. I have a friend, um, his name is Bimba, and he's from the Congo originally. 
He's the most joyful person I know. And Begimba and I became friends because the church that I was at in the U.S. Um, partnered with a community of refugees uh, who had been sort of transplanted. They'd, they'd been given visas uh, to come to the U.S. And they get dropped off uh, from Africa into some random town in the U.S. And they're given about a month's worth of money to live on. And so our church saw this refugee community and decided to do to, to make friends with them and help them to assimilate and stuff like that. Um, and I got to know this guy named Begimba, and since then, him and I have become really good friends. And Begimba's story is this, that when he was a child, uh, at the same time the Rwandan genocide was happening back in 1994, the same thing was happening in his home country, the Congo, on a smaller scale. And one night, rebel forces came into Begimba's house uh, while his family was sleeping. And his parents just yelled for their kids to run. Just run. Get safe. Go somewhere. And so Begimba, in the dead of the night, just got up and started running. He didn't know where his brothers and sisters were. He didn't know what happened to his parents. He just started running. He ran all night. And for the next few weeks, he journeyed through thick, dense jungle until he reached the border of Uganda. And uh, when Uganda, he came across a whole line of people, of, of other refugees who were fleeing persecution, uh, and they made their way over about a month's time just on foot from Uganda to Kenya, where they ended up in a refugee camp. And uh, Begimba lived in that camp for years and years, living off scraps under a tin shed. And hanging out with Begimba, who is the most joyful person I know, as much as he has a smile on his face as he shares his story, I, I think about that situation. I think, that's not good. That's not right. There's something inherently wrong about that sort of story, that that has to happen to someone. When I was a kid, I was abused by a neighbor. Uh, being on beach mission uh, for the third time, there's been many times that I've met kids who are here on holiday or kids from the community and there are kids that come up to me and share similar stories, that they've been hurt, they've been abused, they've been neglected. It's a story that's actually quite common in our world. Uh, and as I think of my own story and I think of these kids that I've worked with, I, I hear their pain and their suffering. And I look and I'm like, this can't be right. This isn't the way it's meant to be. For me, that abuse scarred me deeply and made me think I, I wasn't worth anything. And the same thing is happening in our world all over the place. And it's not good, and it's not right. And so I think, deep down, even though I want to believe that humans are great and wonderful and beautiful, it does, it's actually wishful thinking to believe that humans are right and good, and they certainly don't need God, uh, any help from God. Uh, and we can just take a look around. If you just take a moment and even pause and think about the world that we live in and what's going on, you know deep inside of you that things aren't as they should be. And if you turn the lens onto your own life, your own heart, you'll probably find that's not as it should be either. Something's missing. Um, there's hurting in there. There's a crying out for more. We were made for more than this. Fortunately, that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of your story. Uh, the end of the story is that God didn't leave us here. In Romans chapter 5, Paul states that even while we were still sinners, lost, far off, running away, making anything else God in our lives other than the God of the universe, this God sent his son to die for us. 
that though we abandon and run away from God and put anything else on the throne of our lives other than him, he loves us so much that he couldn't leave us alone. Uh, all of our messed up, inverted, twisted, broken hearts he has taken and offers us new life, a new beginning, healing, restoration, freedom, breath, purpose, all of our heart's longings. For, uh, new Year's Eve is just around the corner, and some of you I know are probably looking forward to a new year because you're so done with 2019. It wasn't great. There was heartache and pain and death, and you're just waiting and hoping that next year will be better than this year. I think this, uh, before we do anything else today, go and have a lunch and celebrate and do anything else, this is the truth that you and I need to be reminded of. Uh, and that some of you um, are here and maybe it seems like externally you have it all together. People look at you and like, I want to be like that person. That guy looks great. Look at me. I got a checkered shirt on. Everyone wants that. No, they don't. Um, but internally, some of you are hurting. You're suffering. Or you've put other things on the throne of your life other than God. This passage rings true for you. That you've pursued anything else other than him. And you found yourself uh, darkened. It's not how things should be. And so if that's you, before you even leave today, what you should do is just spend some time and saying, God, I need your help. I need healing. I need to be restored. I want to be made new. I want a fresh start. Because God's the type of God who loves hearing those prayers. Your job and my job is to be what God has always intended for us to be. His image bearers. People who are so captivated by him, who are so filled up with his spirit, who are so enamored with the fact that he sent his one and only son for us, that when people look at us, talk with us, eat with us, play games with us, hang out with us, interact with us, that they will, in fact, be pointed to the God who is bigger and better than anything or anyone else out there. Through how you love, through how you serve, through how uh, you take time, even though you'd rather maybe not be doing something for someone else, how you take time to spend with others, God's image will be seen in you. So as I conclude, uh, I want us to be mindful of two things. First, while you were a long way off, Jesus came and died for you. I hope that reality is always fresh in your minds. It can become really just a normal thing. Like, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. But, like, the gravity of that truth is so profound, it should constantly wash over you. That you should just be overwhelmed by the fact that that God who created the whole universe thinks so highly of you that he sent his son for you. That's mind-blowing. And it should constantly overwhelm you so much so that you want to respond. And secondly... Each person you encounter needs this same Jesus too. So don't take your role as God's image bearer lightly. You represent the Lord of the universe. It's an incredible privilege. There's no such thing as an ordinary Christian because every life that Jesus has touched has become extraordinary. So will you be his image bearer with the people that God brings into your life? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing truth that while we were still sinners, 
while we were still a long way off, while we were still trying to pursue anything other than you as the center of our lives, you loved us and sent your son for us. That that story does not have to be how our story ends. That because of Jesus, you include us into your family. You give us new life, new heart, fresh perspective. We pray that we would um, not only hear this truth, but we would embrace it within the very depth of our being. To know that you so loved us that you sent your one and only son. And that changes everything. Help us to be people whose uh, story uh, fits in with yours. That we are your image bearers. And everything that we do, everything that we say, that we think, um, the way that we conduct ourselves around others will point others to you. The God who loves and the God who is there. We thank you so much for sending your son to change, um, yeah, the narrative of our storyline. Help us, God, uh, to follow you, to be in love with you, to be refreshed and forgiven by you, and uh, live image-shaped lives for you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.